I'm Annie Apple, and I'm here to invite you to come and listen to my new podcast series, Raising April. It's the most intimate sports-related conversations you will hear. Each week, we explore the journeys of some of your favorite NFL players through the eyes of those that know them best. From Joe Burr, DeAndre Hopkins, Miles Garrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick and Joey Boza, just to name a few. With exclusive insights and information, we leave no stone unturned. Subscribe now to Raising a Pro on your favorite podcast app. HD you are listening to a Live Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Welcome to Mint Views. This is the podcast of the opinion section of Mint Newspaper. My name is Aresh Shirali, editor of Mint Views, and I have with me Anant Vijay Kala, senior editor of Mint. We are going to talk about this interesting book that is due soon by former Reserve Bank of India Governor Urjit Patel. The name of the book is Overdraft, Saving the Indian Saver. As the name suggests, this is all about banking. It's all about the banking sector. The interesting thing about the book in particular is an analogy that he uses. He speaks of a concept called the Chekhov's gun. Now, this is named after the famous Russian playwright Anton Chekhov, who in the play The Seagull, if I recall correctly, actually had a character walking around with a rifle in act one of the play. And at the end of it, he uses it to commit suicide. Ah, but that's not what I think uh, Patel is talking about here. Here he's referring to the concept of the Chekhov's gun, which happens to be a literary principle which says that anything that you have in any piece of literature must be absolutely necessary. Otherwise, it shouldn't be there. Here, I think the analogy is with regulation of banking. If there is regulation of banking, it's obviously necessary. But according to him, the Chekhov's gun in this case in the banking sector vanishes by act three of this whole drama. By this, he means the deterrent effect of the gun disappears. According to him, as it seems, that is the core problem in the entire banking sector that we have. Let me quote from the book. In the regulatory enforcement and legal landscape around loan recoveries in India, the unused rifle usually disappears by Act 3. Hence, it is not credible since all stakeholders know about the preordained vanishing act. In other words, everyone seems to be in collusion over here. You know, lenders, borrowers, all of them. And they all sort of know that, you know, this, this regulatory deterrent, it really won't fire. That's what he seems to be saying. And that, according to him, seems to be the core of the banking sector problem in India. So what do you make of this, Anant? It's interesting, isn't it, the analogy he uses? Yeah, Aresh, you're right. It's a very interesting analogy that he has used, uh, drawn from a playwright. Uh, so, you know, from a reader's point of view, it certainly promises to be something exciting and kind of a tell-all story about the banking sector's evolution in India, uh, not over the decades, but over the previous uh, several years. 
of the bad death story uh, that we've seen play out in India. So pretty exciting and uh, let's just see what kind of revelations come out. I'm sure there'll be some uh, interesting insights about how the bad debt uh, buildup took place in the system. It has been taking place for over a decade now, I guess, uh, maybe even before the 2008 financial crisis, uh, the debt buildup started taking place and how uh, towards the latter part of this decade uh, or the recent years, this bubble burst causing a, a ripple effect across the sector and widespread trouble across the economy. So yeah, you're right, Aresh. It would be a very interesting read and uh, it would be interesting to note who he blames or who he thinks was not able to discharge their duties properly. Yeah, he was certainly on top of the system. He was the governor of the Reserve Bank of India. Bird's eye view, you could say, of what's going on. Uh, I presume he, of course, tried to arrest this problem, tried to solve it, without much uh, luck, it would seem. We have a huge non-performing asset problem in this sector. Bad loans, they just keep piling up. A recent report, as you were mentioning, by Standard & Poor's uh, estimates that the bad loan problem in India, we could actually have up to 12%. Is that correct? I think around 12% of all yes. advances could end up as bad. That's huge. That could wipe out basically the capital buffers of banks. That's a problem, isn't it? So how do we indeed, solve it? Indeed. Yeah, you're right, Arish. Uh, you quoted the number correctly. Uh, Standard & Poor's has predicted that this year the bad loans of Indian banks could go up to 12 or 13 percent and currently they're around 7 or 8 percent so that's quite a quantum leap you know and uh, you know we know what has been happening in the economy so that will only add to the pressures uh, if they reach this level then the operational flexibility for banks will also narrow quite significantly you know when at, at a situation when the economy requires the banks to lend freely that much space would be reduced for the banks to do that, Arish. And the trouble, Anand, I think seems to be that they are actually banking on banks, so to speak, to help us through this crisis. The emphasis of the government on debt, particularly giving out credit, shall we say, to help MSMEs in particular and, and others as well, uh, is huge. So we cannot actually afford a banking crisis blowing up, a non-performing asset problem blowing up in our faces. Uh, but what are the solutions, Anand? What do you think? What what should we do about this? Yes, Arish, you're right. Uh, you know, at a time when the government is relying so heavily on the banking system, which anyway is a spine of any economy, uh, more specifically in the case of uh, India, because most of our government schemes are relying on uh, the dispersal of credit either to small companies or medium-scale businesses in order to uh, drive uh, investment revival in the economy. So at this stage, we need to have strong banks. And, you know, this is a subject that has been reviewed and explored and examined for uh, years together. And several recommendations over time have been made but apparently, it seems, you know, given the state of our sector, that these have not really been effective. So, you know, one of the uh, important suggestions that was made in recent years was about the separation of the management and uh, the ownership of banks. And this applies more so to public sector banks because the government, Arish, 
holds a very significant stake in these banks and these banks form the bulk of the banking sector in india so perhaps that would be a good starting point uh, in order to bring about good governance in the banking sector or in the in the biggest chunk of the banking sector which is the public sector banks mm-hmm. yes anand i think that was one of the suggestions that uh, arun jetly in particular was very keen on that we should actually have a holding company for banks which will introduce a layer of separation between the ownership the government and public sector banks this way at least uh, the appointments of senior executives uh, you know might actually be made slightly more autonomous which could perhaps help but we don't know how this might actually work out but something needs to be done free marketers anand i think would suggest that we should privatize the banking sector they observe that worldwide allocation of capital which is core to the efficiency of any economy best works when you have a banking system which responds purely to market signals which actually is judged purely by performance by markets in a sense you know shareholders and everybody and there would be very little scope for any kind of hanky panky going on or any kind of collusion between you know officials at banks and and, and borrowers stuff like that but do you think that's even viable anand can we actually privatize large chunks of our state dominated banking sector yeah viability that's the important uh, point that you've put the finger on arish uh, i think in a uh, you know that would be a ultimate goal for the banking sector or for any enterprise but i think at this point of time given the state of the markets and the economy as such you know the kind of stake the government holds in so many banks it would not be a near term solution maybe it would be pragmatic over a long term but mm-hmm. i think achieving it would require a really long time so mm-hmm. perhaps that could be a structural reform to be looked at over a longer period of time but given the difficulties that the sector is facing or the economy is facing we need more immediate solutions to improve governance so mm-hmm. perhaps other things need to be looked at and as you see arish these uh, uh, cases of the nirav modis and the uh, vijay malyas these are all manifestations of how the regulator and the government have failed the public uh, you know of these are instances of uh, unscrupulous borrowers in connivance with uh, unscrupulous lenders or some of their executives uh, siphoning off public funds so these are all manifestations of our failure the failure of our system and these need to be corrected in a uh, you know a more immediate term structural mm-hmm. reforms of course are important but we need to have the sight uh, our eyes set on the near term as well mm-hmm. now that in a sense i think you said it very well anand that in a sense actually is the problem with our entire socialist uh, ec- economic paradigm we rely too much on the honesty and integrity of various people with power while in the real world we find that market discipline probably works better than to actually rely on individuals and their particular sense of integrity that seems to be the trouble with our banking sector that we need perhaps to move to a system where we can actually uh, not need people's own integrity being serving the purpose uh, but i don't know how we could do that uh, as you say it will be difficult at this juncture to think of 
privatizing the sector. For one thing, banking still remains to a large extent uh, an instrument of public policy. So long as that is the case, I don't think the government would be even inclined to you know, privatize banks. That being that, let's just hope that Chekhov's gun as a deterrent, shall we say, actually is visible, can be seen by all players, and actually has effect. That's probably the best we can hope for under the circumstances. Should be interesting, this book that's coming along, Overdraft. Indeed, Arish. Yep. Thank you very much, and bye-bye. Until next time, this is Minfew signing off. That will be all for today. If you have recommendations or any issue that you would like us to discuss, please send in your suggestions to podcasts at hindustantimes.com. This was a Live Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast. I'm Annie Apple and I'm here to invite you to come and listen to my new podcast series, Raising April. It's the most intimate sports related conversations you will hear. Each week, we explore the journeys of some of your favorite NFL players through the eyes of those that know them best. From Joe Burrow, DeAndre Hopkins, Miles Garrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick and Joey Boza, just to name a few. With exclusive insights and information, we leave no stone unturned. Subscribe now to Raising a Pro on your favorite podcast app.